Right, so um, here, here's what I want to do this evening. How, how many of you were here last week? We'll start that way. Um, we, uh, we're, going, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're talking about judgment. And Jesus talks about judge not lest you be judged. And um, one of the things that I wanted to try to do as we talked about judgment was to really uh, kind of hone in and clarify some things um, uh, dealing with judgment as it, cons- as it pertains to Christians. Um, and, and let me just say this. Um, there were a lot of questions, a lot of discussion that came up as a result of that uh, that I welcomed and I'm very thankful for. Um, and so what I wanted to do was kind of finish chapter 7 tonight, but we're not going to do that. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to clarify a lot of what was discussed and brought up last week. And so um, I, I want to just say this. I, I try my very, very best to communicate, and I think every pastor does, to communicate in the clearest way possible. You know, I had classes at college that even uh, dealt with my oration so that I would learn how to communicate on a level where people could understand. But here's what happens. Inevitably, it doesn't always turn out that way, right? Uh, there's always, at some points, just a kind of a break in communication, right? And, and even though I pray and I, that I will communicate the word clearly, sometimes it just doesn't get perceived that way. And, and i got to admit to you, I was talking to Randy uh, last week coming down the steps, and I said, man, man good message tonight, real light, uh, practical, you know, and, uh, you know, don't have to, you know, really get into anything really deep, and I was wrong, right? Tends to be the way it happens sometimes. Um, and really, i got to be honest with you, I didn't think that this issue of Christian judgment was that big of an issue because I think the Bible does clearly spell it out. I think the Bible does say um, that it will happen, right? And I don't know if anybody would disagree with that in here tonight, but Jesus and Paul and John, Peter, James, uh, Jude, all of these people who wrote in the New Testament wrote about judgment that will come upon Christians. And so, um, so, so here's what I want to say. First, as your associate pastor and as one who is responsible for, for communicating God's Word to you on Wednesday, I want, to, I want to apologize to you if the way that I communicated last week was not very clear. Um, I do take responsibility for that. Um, and, and I do want to say this in all seriousness. If you heard me say last week that the cross is not enough, I'm sorry. That's not by any means what I said or what I insinuated, okay? The gospel, the blood of Jesus, covers us completely for our sin, okay? You're hearing me say that. The cross is enough to forgive us of our sins. Works do not do that, okay? Does everybody agree with that? Okay. Um, if you heard me say anything different last week, I apologize. Uh, That is certainly not what my intentions were. So here's what I want you to understand. We do not have to face the wrath of God because of our faith in Jesus. You understand that? We are free from the penalty of sin because of the blood of Jesus. Also, because of the blood of Jesus, we get to go to heaven. Okay? You hear that? We go to heaven through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And nothing can take that away from us. 
No sin that we commit even after our conversion can take heaven away. Okay? This is, and I referred to this last week, as positional justification. Right? Positionally, we stand clean and innocent for our sin based on the blood of Jesus. We are free from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Death. We don't have to face the penalty of sin because who has faced it in our place? Jesus. Jesus. That is the gospel. The judgment that we face, if our name is written in the Lamb's book of life, is not based on our position. It's not a heaven or hell judgment. Jesus looks at the Lamb's book of life, our name is written in it, we get to go to heaven. He has forgiven us of our sins, and we do not have to pay that. The judgment that I was speaking of last week, and that we're going to clarify this week, is not that judgment. Okay, We said there are two judgments found in the Scriptures based upon the two sets of books that are found at the judgment. There's the Lamb's Book of Life and then the Book of Deeds. And so the judgment that Christians faced before Christ is based not a positional judgment, it's not a salvific judgment, it is a works judgment. We will stand before Jesus, and I'll show you through Scripture tonight, and give an account for our works. And so here's what we need to understand about this judgment. Uh, Although our sins are forgiven, okay, we've just clearly defined that, although our sins are forgiven, does not negate the fact that those sins occurred. Let me say that again. Just because the sins are forgiven doesn't mean that the sins never happened. Right? They happen. It's reality, right? That's what makes the gospel that great, is that they did happen, and He forgave them. Okay? But we have to be very clear about that. We have to understand that just because they're forgiven doesn't mean they didn't happen. Forgiveness of the offense doesn't make the offense as if it didn't ever occur. And so I want you to hold on to that point because we're going to come back to that at the end. Okay. Now, let me clarify a couple of terms for us. Last week we didn't really clarify these and I want to, I want to go through these. Because here's the thing, words mean things. You hear me say that all the time, right? Words mean things. And if we don't correctly understand what they mean, then our whole perception and interpretation of things gets thrown off, right? And so here's the first word that I want to talk about, and this is the word judgment. What in the world does it mean that Christians will come under judgment? If you have your Bibles, and I didn't, get a, I didn't uh, do a handout tonight because we're going to be in a lot of different places, but I, and I wanted you to listen to me. Um, but if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 14 are the two, verses, or two chapters that I want us to look at tonight. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and Romans 14 both use the same Greek word for judgment. That word is bema, B-E-M-A. You've probably heard uh, a lot of pastors talk about the bema seat of Christ, right? Okay, so here's what I want you to understand about this bema seat of Christ. The word bema in Greek literally means to stand on a stage before a tribunal. Okay, what's a tribunal? Mr. Lawyer, what's a tribunal? The judge, right? In this case, it's a singular person. It's Jesus, right? So the Bema seat just means that it is a place where every Christian will have to stand 
and be face to face with our judge. That's what Bema means. All right? It is to stand on a stage and Christ is in front of us as our judge. Now, here's where some confusion can seep in. That same word, Bema, um, who, who originated the Olympics? Who, who founded the Olympics? The Greeks, right? So, the, the same Greek word for judgment seat was used to describe the platform that winners of events walked up on, onto to receive their medal, right? But here's, I want you to think through this, and I, I've watched the Olympics, you watch the Olympics. When, when people receive their medal, they're based on what? It's based on their performance, right? And um, the floor routine, the gymnastics thing that always just kind of, I don't know how they, their legs don't just break when they do that stuff. But, but here's, what they're, here's what they're judged on. They're judged on how well they do. And then they're also judged on the mistakes that they make too, right? There's points given for their performance and points that are taken away because of their performance, right? Then they stand before this Bema seat, this platform, and they receive the medal based on their performance, right? That's right. Not always. Right. That's correct. That is correct. And so, um, here's what I want you to see and understand. A, a lot of people, a lot of good people, look at the Bema seat of Christ and say the only thing that's going to be looked at on there is our good works. But here's, here's the problem with that. Scripture does not back that up. Scripture says that all things will be exposed and judged on this Bema seat, good and bad. Here's how I know that. This is not TJ talking. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment or Bema seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, right? For what he has done in the body. And here's the key. Whether good or evil. Whether good or evil. We talked about that last week. We kind of went into great detail about that one last week. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. The one I really want to focus on tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So turn over there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 10 through 15. This, this clarifies it so much. Listen to what Paul says. Uh, Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. What's Paul talking about here? Anybody know? Okay. He's saying, I came to you, Corinthians, and I laid a foundation for you. What was that foundation? The gospel, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, and people have come after me to lay on this foundation, right? But they, they lay with certain things. There's different works, things that they do that either bring out the gospel or take away from the gospel message. Here's what he says. Um, for no one can lay a foundation other than uh, that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the gospel. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw... Here's, here it is. Each one's work will become manifest. What's that word manifest mean? Will be known. Will be brought forth for the day. I don't know if your Bible capitalizes that word day, but it should. 
What is that day? It's the day of the Lord. The judgment day of Christ when Christians stand before Jesus. Okay? So each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. So on that day, that's when all of our works or deeds are exposed. That's what Paul is saying. Because it will be revealed by fire. And so here's what will happen. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So everything that we do is pass through this judgment of fire. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's two conditions here. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, what? He receives a reward. That's the good deeds that we've done. right? So we know for sure that the good deeds that we've done through Christ will survive and pass through the fire and will be will receive a reward. But then here's a second condition that he gives. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let me, let me clarify what he's saying. There are two types of works that we see here. Works that build on the foundation of Christ and works that don't. And Paul says, on the day of judgment, all of those works good and bad, are brought forth and tested by fire. Okay? I don't know what that looks like. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't know if we get up there and he calls every one of them out one by one. I don't know if it's just a big heap of stuff and it all goes through the fire like an incinerator. I don't know. But here's what I do know. Everything that we have done, good or bad, is weighed out on that day and is laid before Jesus. Okay? Here's what he says. The works that stand the fire will be rewarded. But the next part, the works that are burned up will cause us to suffer loss. What do you think Paul means by that? If the bad things that we've done don't exist or don't matter, then why would we suffer a loss when those things pass through the fire? What do you think? Why would we even notice them? I think it's revealed to you whether a lot of times we, in one scripture talks about we see through a glass part. Right. But, but then we'll be known as we are. Yes. And so the things that we do that mm-hmm. really didn't matter too much mm-hmm. and really weren't what Christ called us to do, mm-hmm. that's going to be revealed to us. Right. The things that we may have put more weight on than we should have, things that we did out of false motive, we talked about that. Yes, ma'am. That's a great point. We're going to come back to that here in just a second, too. That's a really good point. So, so here's what we, we got to understand. On that day, the things that we've done that were sinful, that were not for the glory of God, that did not build on this foundation of Christ, we'll know it, and we'll see it, right? Some of the stuff we may say, well, I didn't, I didn't know it was that big of a deal, but yes, sir? What, what part do you think the description of the materials that you mentioned, what part do you think they play? The, the material, well... You know, that's a good question. I don't know. You know, he, he refers to gold and silver and precious stones. 
Well, it can. It can be. It can be purified. It can be melted. It can. It sure can. The other stuff can be completely destroyed. Yeah, it sure can. And so, who is the who judges or determines what stands the test and what doesn't? Jesus does, right? Yeah. Well, what's left is what we've done for His glory, right? Which is the good things. Yeah. So. The, Well, and standing this and standing on this side of it with you, I don't know what it's going. I know this that the Bible says that we'll suffer loss. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't. I don't know if that means that that, that we're going to hang our head. I, I don't know. But I do know this: that we will know that every deed has been weighed and measured through the through the test of the fire. Second thing, though, here's the second distinction that I want you to see. Um, this is the result of that suffering loss. Paul is clear to say we do not lose our salvation. He he makes it perfectly clear. You get to go to heaven, but as someone who what is barely escaping the fire, right? Again, I'm not 100% sure what that's like. I don't know what that's going to be like, but here's what I do know. It's a judgment of our works, and the bad works are burned up, and the loss we suffer, and here's what I believe, is the knowledge that those deeds were sinful. It's when we are forced, maybe, I don't know if that's the correct word, but when we must come face-to-face with the reality of our deeds. And and let me, I'm going to kind of get into that here in just a second. And so that leads me to the next word that we've got to define. And that word is accountability. The Bible says that when we stand before this Bema seat, we will have to give an account for our works. So here's my question. What does it mean to have to give an account for something? Face up, own up, right? Take responsibility, um, which is what it means, right? Our accountants do what? What do accountants do? They, they reconcile our, our money, right? They make sure that what we have there is actually what we have, right? It's a realization. This is so important. The literal definition is a narrative or a record of events. This is what has taken place. So here's what this means. When we stand before Christ, we must claim responsibility or own up to the events or deeds mentioned at that time. When we stand before Jesus and He says, here's your life. Giving an account of those things means we say, yes, that's my life. That's what I've lived. That's what I've done. Some of these things, and we'll get to that in just a second. I don't want to get before ahead of myself. But it's no different than standing before a judge here on earth. Right? When you go before a judge, um, in some cases you get to give it a defense, right? Well, here's what I, you know, here's what I did, here's what I didn't do. That type of trial is already passed at the Lamb's Book of Life. Christ stands in our defense there. Everybody must give an account and must defend their righteousness, right? That's how you get into heaven. And the book of the deeds is the books of the deeds are opened. And the people that don't have Christ base their righteousness on what's written in those those books. And the verdict will come out, 
That's not good enough. And they will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. For Christians, though, those books will be open and we'll also hear, that's not good enough. And Christ will step forward and say, but I paid that debt. Okay? That's when a defense can be given. The judgment seat of Christ is not like that. The judgment seat of Christ is simply, here's your life, do you give an account to what's been done? That's what's happening here. And so he'll open up the books, he'll read the deeds, and the only thing we can do in that moment is own up to what we've done. Own up to what has been read. It is a calling out of our deeds and an acknowledgement that we did those deeds. Does everybody understand that? That's what be given account of our deeds are. Now, we don't get to make a defense. We just listen and acknowledge. And let me just say this. I've been doing a lot of thinking and praying since last week. Um, and the Lord has kind of revealed something to me. I kind of reached a conclusion that I think applies to all of us um, in some form or fashion as to why maybe, maybe we struggle with this. And I want you to hear me out very clearly, and then I want you to ask yourself this question that I'm going to pose to you in just a second. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us. But not just forgive us, to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Man, I love that verse, don't you? I believe that verse. I know that that verse is true. But could it be, and listen clearly, could it be that there are sins in our lives, even as Christians, that we know Jesus died for. We know that we will not be punished for those sins, but we haven't confessed and repented of them. Could it be that the reason why some of us may be afraid of this judgment is because there will be some things that will come to light on that day that we didn't want anybody to know about? Much less, we didn't ever want it to come back up again. But the reason that they did is because we have not acknowledged those things before God as sin. Listen to me. I try my best to keep as short a list of my sins as I can. Every believer should do that. Repentance should be a daily part of our lives. But you know what? If I stand up here and I'm honest with you, there are sins that I have committed in my heart or in my deeds that I don't want anybody to know about. And that I'm hoping won't ever come up. Let me tell you something. I'll just use some examples, and I'll use men as an example. Men, there are women that you've looked at lustfully that you have not told your wife, you have not told an accountability partner, you have not told anybody about that on that day you will give an account for. Women, there are thoughts, there are things that you have gossiped or said about somebody. There have been judgmental attitudes that you've had about somebody that nobody knows about that you want to forget. And you'll give an account. Yes, sir. She's saying, I don't know. You've got to tell somebody everything. No, you ain't got to tell them. I don't them. want to tell you everything. Yeah, you don't have to tell them. I told God everything, but I don't want to tell you everything. Right. And the key is not being... That's not what you're saying. No. The key is not confessing it to everybody else. The key is being honest with yourself and acknowledging that what you've done is in fact sin. We are. 
Hey, I think that has more to do with like sins against each other, not like sins no. against God. Is that what you think? Sometimes that can hurt others just as much. It can't. He sure can. My wife and I have a story about that. That's a great point, Sally. That's a great point. Be careful. You better And the Bible is clear about that. That if you have publicly sinned, there should be a public confession. That's right. And that's the thing. And you're right. And that's a great point, Melvin. Because here's the thing. I don't know. I, I can't see the hearts of the people in here. But I can tell you this. I know that there's a lot of battles and wrestling that goes on in the hearts of Christians over this very thing. That the Holy Spirit is whooping your tail about sin. And you will not. And you are just holding as tight as you can. And you're just praying, Lord, just let it pass over. Let it pass over. And here's what happens. In His grace, in His grace, I think sometimes that He can let, give, you, give your heart a break a little bit. But here's the key. It must come out eventually. Amen. Right? And let me give you some scriptures about that. And yes, I'll get to you in just a second if you okay. um, maybe, and let me just let me just clear this up. Maybe some of us are running from sins that need to be confessed, and we're hiding behind this positional forgiveness. And we and I've said this. Well, Jesus has already died for it. Why do I need to bring it up? Right? Why do I need to bring it up? Because in my heart. In my heart, I have not done with it what I should. I have not faced it as I should. Listen to me, folks. God is a God of completion. God makes things right. He doesn't just cover things up. God doesn't work that way. If that's the way God worked, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. If, if God just said, well, we know, we'll just sweep this under the rug, then there's no point in Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus died in our place because sin had to be paid for, right? Amen. That's the way God works. That is His nature. So just as our sin must be dealt with positionally, we must also acknowledge and confess and repent of that sin in order for that sin to be completely dealt with. You can have your sins forgiven, but not completely rectified between you and God when you fail to confess it. Do you understand why confession is so important? Now, you're right, the Holy Spirit leads us to that. But man, I'm telling you what, sometimes that's the hardest fight we'll ever fight, is coming clean. Right? Yes, ma'am, did you want to say something? The point I was bringing, you covered most of it, but... The point that I was going to mention that is that has been victory in my life is that that God bought us and we have yes. been set free. We are not on the slave act. We're not under bondage to Satan anymore. Right. Amen. We have been free. That's and true. until we realize that, we don't experience that we're the righteousness of God. Sure. 
uh, that we have that freedom. We don't have to have sex and tormented us. Right. We, we're free. If we've confessed it, we've made it right, then when he comes to torment, I don't have to listen to him. But would you not agree that sometimes it's not Satan that's tormenting us? It's the Holy Spirit well, of God convicting us. Let me tell you the difference in Satan and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Holy Spirit always, well, I, to me, mm-hmm. he, he always brings you to a point of, re, of, of repentance. Right. Because he wants you to be free. Absolutely. So, but the devil don't do But the devil won't do that. He'll keep mm-hmm. nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging and nagging. Sure. But the Holy Spirit will take it away. He'll right. free you up. But the but the whole but the devil is a nagger. Yes. He'll come back and he says he's accusing you and accusing you. But if you've been set free by Jesus mm-hmm. and he comes, we we're not slaves to Satan anymore. We are free. Right. We have his righteousness. Sure. So when that when that comes in your mind, you have a choice. Mm-hmm. Which way you're going? Mm-hmm. You feed the unrighteousness thought or you feed the righteousness thought. There's two dogs mm-hmm. in the inside of us, the natural man and mm-hmm. the spiritual man. So what we feed Right. But we have victory. Sure. We don't have to be, you know, in the Holy Spirit, right. he'll bring you to repentance. But Satan just nag his he can. and He absolutely can. But we yeah. have the freedom, the, his righteousness, we are free. Sure, we do. We're not slaves anymore. We do. You know, uh, but that's what the new birth yeah. is. Yeah, even when Paul talks in the Bible about, you know, he, he talks about Christian life being a race. Right. He said, run, he said, run to win. That's right. Absolutely. Amen. I'm going to tell you, also he talks about fight. Fight to win. That's right. And we're going to get to that in just a second because what you just described is exactly what's taking place on this day. It's a, a forcing us to come to the realization of what you just said. That if we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. But on that day, there are going to be things that we didn't even know we needed to confess. There's going to be sins of omission. There's going to be sins of... Pride, false humility. There's going to be words that I spoke out of turn and I didn't pray through them. I didn't think through them. There's going to be things that maybe I didn't even realize that was causing me to have this, this separation. And it will be a time of realization of, man, what, what's really taking place? Positionally, every bit of that's forgiven. You're exactly right. But this is an opportunity for us to see it, acknowledge it, and watch Jesus burn it away. Okay? And so that's where we're going. This accounting is saying, yes, I committed those sins. And watch Jesus do with them what he does. So, are you concerned about this judgment? This is what I want you to think about. Are you concerned about this judgment? Because there's unconfessed or unrepented sin in your life. I want you to think about that. I want you to know this. That sin will be brought to light. Um, Numbers 32, 23, God says this to His people. Be sure of this. Your sins will find you out. Oh, how many times I've learned that lesson by experiencing that lesson. Luke 12, 2 and 3 and Luke 8, 17 talks about the leaven of the Pharisees. And He says, be very careful because what's done in darkness will what? Be brought to light. Everything comes out eventually. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. Okay. So know this. Whatever sin that you may be hiding, or maybe you don't know it, but there's something that you're wrestling with, that you know you need to get right with God, and you're just not for, for whatever reason, and you're saying, well, the blood's covered it, so we won't ever be brought up again. 
Know this, it will come out. But, here's the good news. You do not have to dread this day. Amen. You do not have to dread that day when all my skeletons are going to be laid bare. You know why? Because you have an opportunity today to confess and repent and be forgiven. Amen. Right? You have an opportunity to receive that cleansing so that when you do stand before Him that day and He brings that stuff and He says, here's your life, you'll say, yes, yes, this is my life. And you have paid for every bit of it. And that day can be a day of worship and not a day that's dreadful. This judgment is about acknowledging the sins that, listen, He's already died for. These sins that you're holding on to, He died for them. He paid the penalty for them. Have it completely cleansed by the confession and repentance. So, here's another question. And this is one that came up and I want to address this one too. It's a good question. Why is this even necessary? If the positional part has been done through Jesus and we're not going to go to hell, then why is it necessary for us to go before this judgment seat of Christ? Why do that? I think the Bible answers that, that too. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5 with me if you would. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says this. Uh, I'm starting in verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What happens in a passage of Scripture when we see a therefore? You go back to see what it's there for, right? So Paul is saying, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we work at persuading others. Well, to do what? To do what? We go back up. He goes back up and he says, here's what he says. We'll give an account for every good thing and every bad thing that we've done. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? That we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This Greek word here that Paul uses for fear is Phoban, which means to revere the Lord. It's the same thing that happened with John when he saw the resurrected Christ. He didn't go lay his head in his bosom. What did he do when he saw the resurrected Christ? He fell like a dead man. We revere the Lord. We fear the Lord. We respect the Lord. Why? Paul says because of this. We're all going to have to stand before Him and give an account of our life. This is motivation. Paul is motivating the Corinthians here to live a life, and he says this in Thessalonians, live a life worthy of the calling. Here's what this means. How we live matters as a Christian. The deeds that we do in this body as a Christian matter. And so, here's what he's saying. He spurs the other believers on to live this same way. Is it, is it okay, or excuse me, is it okay to sin as a Christian? No. No, it's not. Will we? Yes. yes. Should we be okay with that? No. no. Here's, the, here's the problem of the church today, and I'm trying not to rant, but here's the problem. We're okay with sin. We're okay with it. And the reason we're okay with it is because we don't understand what Paul is saying here. We're okay with sin because we don't think we'll ever have to look at it again. It doesn't matter anymore. And Paul says, you will give an account for what you do. 
Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. My generation's growing up saying it's all about grace and we have no idea what that means. It is not a license to sin. And it doesn't mean that the accountability for sin doesn't fall on us. The penalty for sin falls on Jesus. The accountability falls on us. You must give an account for what you've done. That's the fear of the Lord. Knowing that one day you will stand before a holy Jesus and you will confess and say, yes, I've committed those sins. Even as a believer. Does it happen? It happens. But we cannot be okay with it. That's the point here. We can't be okay with sin. And so the reason why this judgment happens is it keeps us in check. Right? Listen, if you knew where your mama that your mama was going to be everywhere you were when you were a teenager, would you have done half the things you did? No way. <laughs> my mama used to always tell me this, me and my brother-in-law and, and stuff, we, when I was uh, in sin, she'd say, I hope when you turn that beer bottle up, you see my face in it. <laughs> Boy, that'll make you have a good time, won't it? You know why? She was telling me, I see it. Right? She was trying to be self-imposed Jesus. But what she was saying was, listen, you may can escape my side of things, but everything you do, God sees it. Was that manipulation? Was that legalism? I don't think so. I think it was being made aware that I'm going to be held accountable for what I do. Right? And Paul's doing this with his Corinthians. I love you, so understand the fear of the Lord. You'll give an account for what you do, so be careful about what you do. That's the first reason. But there's another reason that I believe is more important than that. Go uh, flip back to Romans 14 with me. Romans 14 is the other major passage we looked at last time. Listen to this. Romans 14, verse 10, he says... Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, the Bema seat of God. For it is written, listen to this, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The issue here is passing judgment. And when we get back to Matthew 7, um, when we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, we get back to the judgment. We're going to use this as our parallel passage. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching us here. Be careful about how you judge because you're going to have to stand before that same judge one day too. And so this is a parallel passage where Paul is saying, why do you pass judgment? Right? Don't you know you're going to stand before God and be judged as well? And then he gives us the reason why we're going to stand before God in this judgment. And he quotes Isaiah 45.23, which says, listen, as surely as I am God, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am God. What does he mean by that? What does that mean? This moment when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What, what Paul is saying is that on judgment day, when everything is brought to light, when all of our deeds are brought before um, God, before Jesus, we'll finally understand the gravity and the reality of of those things. Allison, you just said that, right? In that moment when they're brought out in front of us, then we'll realize, oh, that was a bigger deal than I thought. Oh, that did cause those repercussions. When all of that is brought out, here's what's going to happen. We're going to realize what we've done and who we are, but here's one thing more important. We're going to realize how holy God is. We're going to realize that in light of His glory, those things will be exposed as they really are. We're going to see sin for its grossness then, right? 
And in the light of His judgment, we're going to then be moved to bow our knee. What does is, what is bowing of the knee signify? Worship, but also an acknowledgement that you are, then, you are now before someone greater than yourself. It's a respect thing. It's a humility thing. Our sin, our deeds, good or bad, even the good deeds, I think, are going to bring us to humility. Because even in light of Christ, the good deeds, how great were they? We'll get to that in just a second. Paul makes, takes this step further in Philippians 2 when he says, he quotes this same passage, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But then he adds this very, very important phrase, to the glory of God the Father. Alright, so let's go back through it. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and our deeds are exposed, we'll see our deeds as they truly are. We'll see Jesus for who He truly is. And in comparison to those things, we will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the reason we do that is so that God will be brought glory. How will He be brought glory? I want you to get this. Through that event, as those things are laid bare before Christ and they pass through this fire of His judgment, He's going to burn up those things. He's going to burn up those deeds, those things that were not done for His glory. And in burning up those deeds, He's going to receive more glory for it. Why? What's going to happen? We look at it, and we say, oh man, I thought that was something worthy. Oh, I didn't think that was that big a deal. And he's going to expose it for what it is. And as he burns it up, we're going to realize just how much we needed to see that happen. We need to see Jesus do what he's supposed to do and show us what our sin really looks like. And he does this to magnify his glory. Listen, he knows us. He knows us. We say this all the time. He knows us better than we know ourselves. This judgment seat of Christ is an opportunity for us to see ourselves as He sees us. And when we watch Him take those pre-conversion and post-conversion sins, what we realize is He already he died for that. He took care of it. But now He is, to use Melvin's terminology, wiping the slate completely clean so that not only the penalty is now paid, but even the recollection and knowledge of those sins is now gone forever. How many of you, let me just ask you this question. I want you to just roll this around in your mind. How many of you know that your sins are forgiven? How many of you still remember some of those sins? Praise God at the judgment seat of Christ, when all that's burned up, we won't, ever have, we won't even have an acknowledgement or a recollection of those sins after that. Yes, ma'am. One of the things that I think in this is important mm-hmm. uh, to my heart mm-hmm. is that the Holy Spirit is here. Mm-hmm. He did not leave us without a comfort. Mm-hmm. And He comes to teach, to guide, instruct. Mm-hmm. So he, when we sin, mm-hmm. if you're walking with Christ, when you sin, you come under conviction. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. To say, get it right. Mm-hmm. And the sooner you make it right, the, the, uh, the less the judgment may be. Most of the time it is. Mm-hmm. Get it right quick as you can. He's faithful and just. And, right. And, yeah, and get it straight and go on and live in victory. Don't let it wait. Don't let it, you know, get it right. Right. Because you can't. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us Mm -hmm. into what is important, what isn't, what we need to confess. But if we we resist and resist the Holy Spirit, 
that's what's wrong with the church. Sure. If you're born again, if people are coming under conviction, they say, well, it's not really that bad. I don't want to go to him and confess sure. this. I, you know, I don't want to do that. Right. And then it gets harder and harder, and then they don't sit there. The Holy Spirit kind of... That's exactly they right. They don't sense him. They don't feel him. But he's in us to guide us. He he's on our team all the time. Sure. We live in victory. Sure. And, and all of this ties into that. Mm-hmm. Because working. right, and on that judgment we day, we can't confess. You can't. I mean, you know, yeah. we don't know all the sins we do of commission right. and omission, and that's why Christ came mm-hmm. to take care of that. Mm-hmm. And so, but what we do, we respond to the Holy Spirit, and He you know He wants us to live. He, that Satan kind of still killed the story. God mm-hmm. came to give life and give it abundantly. Mm-hmm. Christ wants us to live abundantly. Mm-hmm. That's what's wrong with the church. We're not radiating out of the community. And all the churches are dying. You heard on the news last night. Christianity is falling away. Sure. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. That's okay. But this day will ensure that what you just said will happen. That no Christian will get into eternity. We, I think you and I had this conversation. There's no sin in heaven. We know that, right? Right. This ensures that there is not going to be anything that's not confessed that comes through the gate. This judgment seat will burn all that up. Right. So here's what happens. This day turns from this dreadful, fearful day into a day of joy for a believer. When we look and we see that all the junk that was not of any value is burned up. Right? And the things that were for the glory of God, they come through only for us to take them and lay them right back at His feet. This is an opportunity for us to worship. Hey, also, you know, it's cool how we live our faith on this side. It's cool what we do in eternity for you. There's going to be different stages as far as sure. people going to be serving in heaven according to how they live on this side by faith. Yeah. I tell you that. Now, that's, that's what David said, what, I'd rather be a, a doorkeeper <laughs> in the house of God. Right. And so, and so here's what we see. Sin goes from being forgiven positionally to completely done away with forever. And so the acknowledgement of our sin cleanses it through Jesus as He burns it up. And so we are forgiven and then the sins at that moment are forgotten both by Him and by us. It's a great thing to not have to think about your sin anymore. Man. I pray that we see that this evening. We're almost done. Which is the final reason why I believe we've got to go through this. And it ties back into Matthew chapter 7. One of the main reasons why we've got to go through this judgment day of Christ. We are reminded through this judgment that even though our sins are laid bare before Him, and we must be held accountable for those sins, He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Um, that He does not treat us as our sins deserve? That's not a passage of Scripture. It's just a truth. He does not treat us. That is, a, that is a passage of Scripture. Let me get back to you on that. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. I had to get back to you on that, Jason. So, He exercises grace even through this judgment. Not justice. You hear that? He doesn't exercise justice. He doesn't need to because justice has already been served through His atonement. And so that's what Jesus is preaching here in Matthew 7. Now here's the thing. We don't have to fear this judgment from Christ as long as we openly acknowledge we sin. When we sin, we confess it. We repent of it. 
And look, even as His people, even as, even as those who have the Holy Spirit, we don't always do good deeds. But we can rest assured that even those things will be wiped away. And folks, that is grace. Listen, this is so important. Grace is not the truth that we act as if sin doesn't happen. That's not what grace is. Grace is acknowledging that sin happens and yet He clears it up once for all. That's grace. To stand before God and say, yeah, that's who I am. But you have paid for it all. And Him say, I have. And He burns it up. We never have to go back to it again. And folks, that is what will happen on this day. And because that happens, He will be forever exalted and glorified as the gracious and wonderful Savior that He is. The judgment seat of Christ is necessary, it's a reality, and it is good for those who see it for the truth that it brings about. So my prayer is that you see it. Listen, He's not up there trying to beat you up. We don't go through this for Him to wag His finger at us and show us how petty or how, how puny and sinful we are. He does it to show us that what we, how we live matters and that He will get glory even by wiping out those sins once and for all. Do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time that we've had. And Lord, I, my prayer is that we, um, God will lay hold of these truths. And um, Lord, that we will allow it to change us. God, not just uh, to be information and something that we're dreading coming down the pipe, but God, we would look at it um, as an opportunity for um, the world and ourselves even to truly see who you are and to know that God once, one day, once and for all, not just positionally, but in every facet, in every dimension, our sin will be done away with. We don't even have to think about it anymore. It'll be burned up. And God, then the only thing that will remain is an eternity worshiping at your feet for how gracious and good you are to us. Father, help us to see that, Lord, until then, Lord, our, our actions matter. And God, we will give an account for them. And my prayer is that, Lord, even as we sin and we make mistakes, we'll be quick to confess them, to repent, and to live this life of holiness to reflect our Savior who lives in us. And so, Father, we just pray that um, you would make this truth real to us. And God, that, um, uh, Lord, you would be brought glory through it. Because, Lord, that's why we exist. It's to bring you glory. And, Lord, everything in our lives will do that one day. And so, Father, we just thank you for hearing this prayer. And we pray all these things in the precious and holy and good name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.